Hey, Table Church, as we're going through the book of Psalms together, it wouldn't take long before we came to one of those fiery curses. Yeah, it's a, it's a type of prayer in the book of Psalms known as an imprecatory prayer. That's a fancy word. It basically means to invoke or to call down God's justice and God's curse upon the evil and the injustice. Yeah, so you may have been reading through the Psalms and uh, you've come across these nice, really warm type prayers, but then you've come to these type prayers, these imprecatory prayers, and you've probably been thinking, wow, should I be praying those? There's so much going on in uh, our world and in our country with the injustice. Uh, is it okay for me to be praying these Psalms? And I just want to say very clearly, there is a way that we can be praying these imprecatory psalms. I want to look at how to do that this morning. And uh, in case you're wondering, does God care about social justice? And what does Christianity have to say about social justice? And where does the Table Church of San Francisco stand regarding social justice? We care deeply about the oppressed and about injustice. And so uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 69. It's a lament of King David. Uh, David is um, using this psalm here to pray down this fiery judgment uh, on injustice. And ironically, or very interestingly enough, Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. So again, as you read through a psalm like this, you have to be asking, wow, I'm not only angry, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling a rage. What do I do with this rage? And uh, it has to do with uh, something where there's been something horribly wrong that's happened. Perhaps there's been a blatant racial discrimination or injustice, or maybe there's been sexual abuse or a murdering of a spouse or murdering of a child or a betrayal of a marriage vow. But nonetheless, it's been blatant, the injustice and uh, something has gone horribly wrong. So there's this rage. So let's just read Psalm 69 together. Let me invite you to turn there. Save me, O God, for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted for crying for help, for my throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping waiting for, God's, for God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I did not steal. O oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. Don't let those who trust in you be ashamed because of me, O oh sovereign Lord of heaven's armies. Don't let me cause them to be humiliated, O oh God of Israel. For I endure insults for your sake. Humiliation is written all over my face. Even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Passion for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I weep and fast, they scoff at me. When I dress in burlap to show sorrow, they make fun of me. I am the favorite topic of town gossip and all the drunks sing about me. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor. In your unfailing love, O oh God, answer my 
prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from those deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and redeem me. Free me from my enemies. You know of my shame, scorn, and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity. If only one would turn and comfort me, but instead they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. Let the bountiful table set before them become a snare and their prosperity become a trap. Let their eyes go blind so that they cannot see and make their bodies shake continually. Pour out your fury on them. Consume them with your burning anger. Let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. To the one you have punished, they add insult to injury. They add to the pain of those you have hurt. Pile their sins up high and don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. Then I will praise God's name with singing. I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Praise him, O heaven and earth, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Jerusalem and rebuild the towns of Judah, his people will live there and settle in their own land. The descendants of those who obey him will inherit the land, and those who love him will live there in safety. Wow, this fiery, this fiery call of God's judgment and curse upon, injust, upon injustice. Let's learn right now how to pray these imprecatory prayers. Well, first of all, a quick overview before we talk about some action steps here is that David feels overwhelmed with personal enemies. He's not talking about military enemies, which we know he had, but in this particular psalm, this imprecatory psalm, he's praying against injustice and uh, hatred coming his way, not because of his sin. That's what he said in verse four. Now in verse five, he knows that he's not flawless. David knows that he's not perfect. David's suffering is not only undeserved, but it is endured precisely as a representative of God. David pleads with God to be delivered. And as David is doing this for us, pleading with God, you can tell how intense it was, how he's just raging at the injustice. And to be human means to rage at the injustice. To be alert, to be alive means that you notice it and you don't like it and you're going to speak out against it. 
So yes, this is a psalm of lament, but there is uh, an imprecatory nature to it. Now, the psalms would not be a true mirror of the human soul without portraying our anger and our rage, would it? I love what Walter Brueggemann in his commentary, Praying the Psalms, I love what he says here. The Psalms explore the full gamut of the human experience from rage to hope. Indeed, it would be very strange if such a robust spirituality lacked such a dimension of vengeance. For we could conclude that just at the crucial point, robustness had turned to cowardice and propriety. I also like what Alec Motyer in Gordon Wynnum's The Psalter Reclaimed says. He says, in almost every case, the imprecation that we find objectionable sits alongside a spirituality that we would envy, as in Psalm 139. You catch that? So to go along with this spirituality that we all want, one of praising God and thanking God and worshiping God, right alongside that Mature spirituality is the imprecatory psalm where this rage, this cry for injustice and anger must go somewhere. Well, here's a few action steps that we can remember as we learn how to pray the imprecatory psalms. Number one, number one, I have seven of them, by the way. Number one is we're in a fight. We're in a fight, and I don't mean a political fight. I don't mean that it should be your agenda to try to drag someone across the political aisle to convince them or to persuade them. That, that is not the fight that we are in. That is a total distraction. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says that while we may wrestle against flesh and blood, yes, we do. We do wrestle. There are injustices going on. There are fights that break out among us. Yet while we may wrestle against flesh and blood here on this earth, there's a larger spiritual battle going on against the spiritual forces of evil. So yeah, there's much fighting. There's much war going on in this country and in our world. But the greatest battle going on is against our truest enemy, and that is none other than Satan himself. The spiritual warfare that we're all under right now, Satan is, by the way, loving it. Satan, by the way, is loving the disunity, loving the hatred, loving the racism, loving the distraction that's all going on right now. Therefore, we should pray these prayer curses against Satan himself. The second action here is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. And by the way, some of these actions that I'm going to mention, some of them will be mentioned quicker and some of them we'll spend longer on. Number two, to humble yourself. We were enemies of God. Never forget, forget that. That is, we're praying for God's justice and we're praying for God's wrath to come upon those who execute or, or those who do injustice, remember to pray that very humbly because at one time we too were God's enemies, separated from God because of sin and now redeemed and now we're in a new relationship with God because of Christ. So praying these imprecatory psalms is not a light manner. 
We're to remember Psalm 109, the patience of David, the patience that David had for his enemies, how long he loved his enemies before he would pray these imprecatory psalms. And so wherever we do find an implication in Scripture, it's not this triumphalistic, it's not gloating, it's not boastful, it's not even happy that we would, we would be praying these fiery prayers of God's judgment and God's justice. But instead, it's, uh, it's issues from a position of weakness and victimization. Take Psalm 35, verse 7, for example, that says, Without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. So pray these prayers with a humility. The third action is that change starts with you. Yes, you want change in your country. It starts with you. You want change in our world. It's going to start with you. Now don't try to go out there and start changing other people, but it's going to happen with you. This is a call towards repentance, that you and I are called to repent. And our moral progress is not inevitable. We may think that just because we've been a Christian for X number of years that we should be more moral and that we should be more loving to people, uh, yet uh, our moral progress is not inevitable. The, the, spirit, the Spirit of God living in you is certainly committed to you to mature you, but our sin requires repentance. It requires repentance. And we are held responsible for the sins of the generations, particularly when we defend the sins of the generations. We need to repent of those sins. And we need to go before God so that God could point out sin in our lives. Yes, have God speak to us and point it out for us. That's what's happening in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where David, the psalmist, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. See, repentance and the change that's going to start in you is basically praying for spiritual protection against hating your enemies. We need to pray for spiritual protection that we don't hate our enemies. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's asking the Spirit to carry on his war against the flesh. That's what we should be praying inside of us. That God's kindness would lead us to repentance. It's not God's judgment and that we're fearful and, and that leads us to repentance. No, it's that everything that Jesus did in the New Testament was an act of kindness to lead us to repentance. Therefore, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 could ask us, or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But see, if by your hard heart you don't repent, 
you are storing up for yourselves wrath that will come. The fourth action here for us is praying for our enemies. Praying for our enemies. As we got to that part in this imprecatory psalm where David was just crying out for a helper, crying out for God to deliver him against the injustice that he was experiencing, we were wondering if we would hear a prayer that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, actually, that's not what we heard. David also does not throw a temper tantrum. David, uh, we don't see him going crazy on his enemies as he might and as we might want to do sometimes. But rather, there's a praying for his enemies. Verses 22 through 29, these are those fiery curses. And the fiery curses is understanding that David and that you and I, we're not supposed to be the ones that bring the fiery curses on others, but rather we entrust it to God. And praying for our enemies, we're praying that God would bring the curse on them. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Let your burning anger overtake them, is what he's praying. Verse 22 in Psalm 69, that this table uh, would become a snare, that their very supper table would become a trap for them. And then in verse 29, that David closes with a cry for help. David is, is not praying that God would save them. Rather, it's, it's that God damn them, don't save them. The fifth action that we have here is don't take matters into your own hands. As we just said, we want sometimes, we want to do it ourselves. Oh, and if you've ever had rage inside of you, and you've ever had anger just boiling inside of you, you really, really want to take care of business yourself. It's that assurance that it'll get done, and, and almost some wicked sense of pleasure that we might think we would experience, but oh no, oh no, don't ever take matters into your own hand. David is teaching us it's not a sinful personal vengeance that's going on here. That's not what's going on. Verse four, he says, those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. See, there's this warning that evil, that evil will only create more evil. That if I take matters into my own hands, it's only going to make matters worse. And see, the hope here with not taking matters into our own hands is that evil will be punished. It will not go unpunished. Because wrath belongs to the Lord, it will come. It will be done. It will be done right. It will be done righteously. It will be done in, in, in a good and perfect way because God brings it. And because of that, don't ever take matters into your own hands. God is the sole source of deliverance. God is the sole source of deliverance and judgment. Psalm 95, I'm sorry, Psalm 59 verse 5 says, You, O Lord God of hosts, or God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. See, there's this cry in the imprecatory Psalms, rise, O Lord. Rise, O Lord. Psalm 37, 
encourages us. Don't fret when they succeed in their ways and the wicked schemes. Turn away from your wrath. It only leads to evil. Those who are evil will be destroyed. The wicked draw the sword and they bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Also in Psalm 37, it says that the Lord laughs at the wicked and sees that their day is coming. The Lord laughs at them, at all of their schemes. Some of the other Psalms where it talks about how they devise and they set a, a net like a trap. And those imprecatory Psalms are praying that that very net that they set would entrap them. The poetic justice that takes place there, that the, this final judgment is going to take place, it's sure. That when Christ returns, he's bringing this judgment. And that we are following Jesus' example that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he writes about that Christ himself gave us. It says, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to a God who judges justly. See, notice that's what Jesus is doing. He's entrusting his very situation to a God who's, who's competent, to judge justly and take care of justice. Psalm 103 verse 6 says, God works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We're not taking matters into our own hands. So see, we should always be praying and having this balance when we pray these imprecatory prayers. Father, save the wicked. Father, save those who are unjust. Save the lost. Have mercy on them. Or we should be praying, Father, pour out your wrath on evil. Pour out your wrath and your justice on those who are doing injustice and who plan and scheme injustice. And those who, ver who built the very foundations of the systems that create perpetual injustice. Bring your Bring your judgment, O Lord. Now, when we say that we are to not take matters into our own hands, this doesn't mean that we don't protest. In fact, we should be. We should be. And we, sh and we still protest. We should still protest and paint Black Lives Matter on black asphalt in beautiful ye yellow paint. Black Lives Matter in different parts of the world that you see right now. Calling evil what it, what it is and desiring that God deal with it promptly and specifically. We should challenge our civil leaders to speak in such a way where there's unity, not divisiveness. We, we should challenge and encourage them to speak words of truth coupled with words of comfort and words of kindness. See, David, in protesting, he stands up for the cause of others here in verse 32 and 33. He says, The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged, for the Lord hears the cries of the needy. 
He does not despise his imprisoned people. See, in praying this way, we're, we're simply asking God to be faithful to his covenant promise. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, you'll, you'll, re, you'll remember this covenant promise here that God says, I will be the one who blesses those who bless you. And I will be the one who will curse those who curse you and those who dishonors you so that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Don't take matters into your own hands. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, the apostle Paul agreeing with Psalm, those imprecatory Psalm, reminds us to never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And that is because the Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Did you hear that? That is, if you, if you love your enemy, as we're called to do, in loving our enemy, we're going to do something very dangerous for our enemy. Right, we're going to do something very dangerous for our enemy. And that is, if, if our enemy repents, these coals of kindness will prove to be burning contrition for them. And if they don't repent, these coals of your kindness will only multiply the heat of God's judgment and God's wrath that will be brought upon them. Here's the sixth action for us. The imprecatory Psalms lead us to the cross of Jesus. That's right, all these imprecatory psalms, all this fiery curse and judgment that the psalmist is, is praying would come down upon the wicked. They point us to the cross of Jesus because Jesus himself bore the vengeance that the psalms ask for. That's right. Jesus would be that one that would take it upon himself. The imprecatory Psalms lead us to the cross of Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said the imprecatory Psalm leads to the cross of Jesus and to the love of God, which forgives enemies. In this way, the crucified Jesus teaches us to pray the imprecatory Psalms correctly. Jesus would have lived Psalm 69, and Jesus would have fulfilled Psalm 69, in his death on the cross. Here's a couple of examples. Psalm 69, verse 9. David says, Zeal for your house, O Lord, has consumed me. In John chapter 2, verse 16, Jesus is so angry at those in the temple that he drives out the robbers, those pigeon sellers, from the temple. He has so much zeal, so much anger for the Lord's house. He doesn't want this house of prayer, the Father's house, to be turned into a house of trade. And the people watching that anger unfold in Jesus and be expressed by Jesus there would have been thinking about Psalm 69, verse 9. David's 
zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed him. It was that same zeal that consumed the Lord Jesus. Another example is Psalm 69, verse 4. David said that they hate me without cause. John chapter 15, verse 24, Jesus is being hated. And guess what he quotes? He quotes Psalm 69, verse 4, and he says, they hated me without cause. A third example, Psalm 69, verse 21, David said, they give me poison for food. They give me sour wine. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said while hanging on the cross to fulfill the scripture, a jar of sour wine was poured in a sponge and put to his mouth, and Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus died fulfilling Psalm 69. The greatest act of injustice in history is right there on the cross of Christ. The New Testament talks about a Jesus who laments, a Jesus who's a victim of injustice, a Jesus who will breathe his last breath, crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to be unjustly accused. Jesus knows what it's like to stay up late and cry. And my friends, only in Christianity, only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, do we have a God who identifies with your suffering and with the injustice and doesn't just feel sorry for you from heaven or doesn't just say, I'm sorry, but yet is so distant from us. See what David is experiencing in the Psalms. Jesus will complete. Jesus will take that all of that fury, all of that wrath upon himself on the cross. The seventh action, the last action here that we're going to look at today is that we are called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to lay our lives down for our neighbors in Jesus-like love for them. That there should be no ethnocentrism, no anti-Semitism, no racism, no classism, that we need a value system by judging a person's character. That's right, we judge a person by their character, not by the color of their skin, that we would go and serve others. See that reconciliation happens in service. That's where reconciliation is going to take place. We have the privilege as a church here in San Francisco right now, the Table Church, to be, to be serving, to be serving the elderly. There's a demographic, largely African-American population there, or rather here in the Bayview, and we're just so honored and privileged to go and serve them and bring meals to them. They're, they're totally unable, this, this elderly population, to go and get food for, for themselves and, and to just bless them in that way. What a, what a very small, super small step towards reconciliation. But we have the responsibility of reaching out to someone who's not like us. That's right, I'm encouraging you to go, to go meet with someone who's not like you. 
to go befriend someone who's not like you, to go listen to someone's story whose story is not like yours. Listen to their story. Let them listen to your story. See, sadly, so many times Christianity is obsessed with self-protection. Self-protection, we cuddle up with, with the politics of the day, and we deny the suffering of our neighbor. We deny the suffocation of our neighbor. And I'm going to give some quotes here from Dr. Christina Edmondson. She's the Dean of Intercultural Student Development at Calvin College. And I listened to a lecture of hers called, Can Rotten Roots Be Redeemed? And she asked, with modernization and technology, you'd think we'd morally improve, right? And she answers, we tend to think that we're always moving forward. Yet sin pulls us back. Sin doesn't weaken with time. The response to sin always needs to be repentance. Dr. Christina Edmondson also asks, why are we still debating that theologians owned slaves? She answers, in America, you can be a good Christian and yet hate your neighbor. It may work here in America, but it does not work in the kingdom of God. She also answers, money made from the backs of slaves was worth it in the minds of the slave owners. Injustice and dehumanization of black people was worth it in their minds. After all, they could use the resources to fund an orphanage, to fund a pro-life initiative, a good thing. But on the backs of those made in the image of God? Can you hear Timothy echo from the biblical text? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. She goes on to ask, race-based caste system mocks the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet why are we having debates about social justice and loving our neighbors? She answers that we have this tendency to have Jesus plus something. Jesus plus my culture. Jesus plus my American heritage. Jesus she says, doesn't share his throne with anyone, however. It's not a sectional sofa. We have this habit of putting Jesus beside other things, a way of practicing idolatry. She goes on to say, injustice has a way of dressing itself up in pants of acceptability, jackets of invisibility. It is clothed in acceptability and inevitability. Injustice dresses itself up in wonderful attire. And the longer it's around, we're less likely to notice it as unjust. She asks, can these rotten roots be redeemed? And she answers with hope. She answers not with cynicism or rage or, hey, let's go. Let's go pour out our rage on, on, on all of these folks that's bringing about the injustice. She answers, yes, these rotten roots can be redeemed because of Christ, not because of tradition, not because of church tradition, or because Christians who have failed in modeling God's love and giving God's love away to others. But these rotten roots can be redeemed because of what Christ 
has already done on the cross for us, that we must live this out. So in conclusion of our Psalm 69 today, it begins with a lament. It goes into a fiery cursing, and then it ends in a doxology. Yes, a doxology, a singing, even a praise to God, verses 34 through 36. Commentary writer Kidner says that Christ came to crown justice with atonement. He goes on to say praise. Praise looks beyond the day of decline and insecurity to the full extent of God's dominion, God's justice, and God's rest. And that God, through the person of Jesus, was brutalized for justice' sake and for love's sake. It was for love that Christ did what he did on the cross. To take upon himself all the vengeance of God, all the wrath, all the justice that our sins deserve. Martin Luther King Jr. very poignantly said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. That's the only force that's able to transform any enemy of ours into a friend. It's love. Because God is love, we should have a heart of compassion. We should live into this call. We are, we are so broken. We are so broken as a people to, to live into this call of loving others. But may the Lord have mercy on us as we move forward in love, in trusting justice, righteous justice that belongs to God. Let us pray right now. Thank you for the language in the Psalms, O oh God. Thank you for these prayers of lament. Thank you for these imprecatory prayers, asking you to bring justice to the wicked. We pray for those of us who have been blown away by horrible injustices, we pray for your comfort right now on the family members who grieve the loss of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and countless others. Lord God, this psalm said that you see it all. So Lord God, on everything that you've ever seen, all the injustice, we pray your comfort on those who have lost lives. And Lord God, we know that with you, that your wrath is coming and that we don't have to be the ones that, that try to bring your wrath to others. We don't have to burn inside with destructive rage, lest it eat away at us and consume us. Let us never take matters into our own hands. That we can hand it over to you, a God who judges justly. And Father, we desire for those people to repent. And we also desire for ourselves to repent. And we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.